Welcome. Today is Wednesday, January 17th, and this is Cato Daily Podcast. I'm Anastasia Glova. Today's guest is managing editor of Cato's regulation magazine, Tom Fiery. Tom will go over some of the most interesting features from the new issue. So the new issue of Regulation Magazine is out for winter of 2007. What are some of the highlights from the issue? Well, of course, every article in it is just wonderfully important and and a highlight. But there probably are three that will really get people's attention. There's one on cigarettes, the cigarette smoking bans, which are becoming more and more popular, and we've talked about uh, on earlier podcasts. There's one on this whole idea of having an organs market that is no longer will donor organs, transplant hearts, transplant lungs be in a sense free. I mean, nothing's really free, but there'd be no money exchanged. But instead, having a market for it. And this article is really important because it's the first empirical analysis of what that market would look like. And then the third article that's kind of going to get a little extra special attention is on the Stern Report, this economics report that claims that we should begin dissipating greenhouse gases and start doing so quickly and that it economically makes sense to do so. Let's start with that last article on the Stern Report. Now, the Stern Review published uh, a report on the economics of climate change, and this report argued that engaging in aggressive short-term policy now is cheaper than doing nothing at all. So what does the author Robert Mendelson say? Yeah, the Stern Report itself, I guess I should say a quick moment about that. Uh, Lord Stern, former economics minister in Great Britain, has put together this report examining what the projected costs and benefits of climate change mitigation. And he argues that we should hop to it quickly and be willing to spend X amount of dollars or X amount of pounds, I forget how he, he measured it exactly, in order to ward off the costs of climate change. Bob Mendelson at Yale read through the Stern report, analyzed it carefully. He argues that Stern's own methodology doesn't make sense, and there's a few different reasons why. Stern makes a number of assumptions that now seem kind of questionable whether to make. Even more worrisome, Stern uses discounting for time. Now, discounting makes perfect sense, that a dollar earned today is worth less than a dollar earned 50 years in the future, both because of inflation, because I have to wait to get that dollar 50 years from now. But what Mendelssohn points out completely appropriately, I think, is Stern uses different discounting for the costs of the environment than he uses for the costs of cleaning up greenhouse, you know, greenhouse gas cleanup or protection from. And as Mendelssohn says, that doesn't make sense. You should use the same discount rate on both. And instead, Stern uses a very beneficial to the anti-greenhouse gas people discount rate on that side. And he uses a very anti, say, anti-Pat Michaels discount rate for people who argue against mitigation. Is there a reason that Stern opted to use different discount rates? He gives an argument that I just don't know if, if it even makes sense. He just basically argues that because environmental protection is so important and future generations' cleaner environment is so important, we should use a, a more beneficial discount rate for those calculations. But that just doesn't make sense. We're talking about present money, present values versus future money, future values. So people living in the future will either have a cleaner environment or more money. So it would seem we should use the same discount rate for both. I don't understand why he made the difference. So basically then Stern made a normative distinction about what benefits humanity. Interesting. So moving right along to a topic that also pushes the ethical frontier is the article on organ donation. Tell me about that article. 
This is a great article because it's really going to be ground-shaking if anyone pays attention to it. And my guess is the other side is just going to ignore it because that's the best way to, to ignore a killer argument against you. There's long been this argument, what would happen if we actually had markets for organs? Because as we all know, there's a huge deficit of donor hearts, donor lungs, donor kidneys, et cetera, et cetera, that people need. Huge wait lists, and a lot of people get on the wait list, and they never get off because they die before they get the organs. And so it's long been argued by some people well, why don't we just pay or give some sort of compensation to people who donate their organs or to the families of people who donate their organs? And the general consensus of the bioethics community, and I have to say, I'll throw this in as a former student and teacher of philosophy, you know, I personally think our bioethics nowadays is, is very poorly done. It's a very weak field and a lot of arguments in it are rubbish. But nonetheless, there's been this philosophical argument going back and forth between the pro and the anti on organ donations. Our friend David Harrington at Kenyon College, an economist, has come up with just a devastating killer argument. He's not going to argue philosophically. He says, look, we can judge this empirically. And the way we can do that is instead look at the market for cadavers. Unlike organs, there is a market for cadavers. You can get compensation for donating your body to science. And he said, if, if the people who worry about organ compensation are right, then we should have fewer bodies donated in states that pay for cadavers. We should have people who, when they do donate their bodies, they're very reticent about doing it. On the other hand, if we have more bodies in states that pay for it, if people actually seem to be proud of donating their bodies to science and also getting some form of compensation, then what that means is all these bioethicists who claim that margins for organs is a terrible, horrible thing, that they're full of garbage. And sure enough, he runs the data, and that's what we find. And lastly, the cover article is on the smoking ban. Now, the cover features a cigarette taken out on a copy of the Constitution. It's a great cover. I have to give props to our cover artist, Kevin Tuma, for coming up with the design, and it's, it's beautiful execution. The article is even more beautiful. It's Tom Lambert, the University of Missouri law professor, and basically takes the standard arguments for cigarette smoking ban, that it's somehow harmful to labor, that science mandates there must be a ban, that uh, somehow there's a market failure, that consumers aren't being served. And he completely tears apart all three of those arguments. And he gets to the punchline, which is, look, if the general public is really being disserved by not having cigarette bans, then what that means is restaurateurs are purposely providing a lower quality product and the people are still paying money for it. And that just doesn't make sense. The market will segregate. People who don't mind smoking, who want to smoke, will go to smoking joints. People who, like me, who dislike smoking, will go to non-smoking joints. That's the beauty of a free market. Free markets flex with their customers or else people go out of business. That's what's happening now. Leave it be, Tom argues. If you enjoyed this program, consider subscribing to Cato Audio, a dynamic 60-minute monthly recording that brings you inside the Cato Institute for highlights from exceptional one-of-a-kind lectures and events on key issues of the day presented by nationally known scholars, authors, and political leaders. Cato Audio is available on our website as well as on iTunes and audible.com.